inside you. It's not like us. It's unlike us. I don't know what it wants. Or if it wants. But it will grow until it encompasses everything. Our bodies and our minds will be fragmented into their smallest parts until not one part remains. guys i'm chris hey everybody i'm robert and we're the film flamers and we're continuing our conversation uh, involving transformations in the new year new you month of january with annihilation that's right last week we talked about black swan and this week we are talking about annihilation which is a 2018 american science fiction psychological horror film written and directed by alex garland based on a 2014 novel of the same name by jeff vandermeer Stars Natalie Portman, Avi, Jennifer Jason Lee, Gina Rodriguez, Tessa Thompson, Tuva Novotny, and Oscar Isaac. The music for the film was composed by Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow. The story follows a group of women who enter the Shimmer, a mysterious quarantine zone of mutated plants and animals caused by an alien presence. The film has been said to address depression, grief, and the human propensity for self-destruction. <laughs> Yay! Garland has said that he started writing the screenplay after the publication of the novel, the first in a planned trilogy, before the other books were published. He said his script was based only on his memory of the book, rather than strictly book-referenced in order to capture a dreamlike tone. He took the story in his own direction and claims to have never read the following two books so he wouldn't be tempted to change his screenplay. Okay, listeners. It's not destroying. It's creating something new. This is Pennywise the beginning. <laughs> I mean, annihilation. <laughs> oh, we offload in the shimmer. <laughs> Can you describe its form? No. Start from the beginning. What do you think I do when you're away? You think I'm out in the garden, pining, looking up at the sky? <laughs> Why aren't you here? I gotta leave a day early. Your husband's here. Let me see him. He's extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. You're a biologist. He served in the military. If I knew what happened, I could save his life. The boundary's getting bigger, it's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. It's beautiful. Check this out. 
like they're stuck in a continuous mutation. Anything interesting in there? No. Sharks have teeth like that. It's not possible. You can't crossbreed different species. What is it? The soldiers on the last expedition. They went crazy. Or something in here killed them. Something's come through the fence. Through the fence? We have to go back. I can't go back. We can camp here tonight. It's destroying everything. It's not destroying. It's making something new. An object hurdles its way through space toward Earth. It crashes into a lighthouse in a state park near Terry, Maine. <laughs> Actually, the southern part of the United States. Three years later, cellular biology professor and former soldier Lena, played by Natalie Portman, is grieving the loss of her husband Kane, played by Oscar Isaac, who never returned from a secret military mission he was deployed to a year prior. She still wears his picture on a locket around her neck. One day, while she is painting their bedroom, Kane mysteriously reappears, but has no memory of his time away from home. After grilling him for any explanation of where he's been, she notices blood in a glass of water he's drinking from and calls an ambulance as he begins to vomit blood. En route to the hospital, the ambulance is intercepted by government officials. Kane is removed from the ambulance, and Lena is knocked out with a sedative. She awakens in a secret government facility known as Area X. She's interviewed about her knowledge of her husband's whereabouts by psychologist Dr. Ventress, played by Jennifer Jason Lee. Later, Dr. Ventress informs Lena that Kane has been part of a mission to enter an area of land surrounded by a growing and glowing field that the government calls the Shimmer. Kane is the only person to ever emerge from the Shimmer, but his body is failing. Lena is befriended by a group of women who are days away from their own mission of entering the Shimmer. Physicist Josie Raddick, played by Tessa Thompson, geomorphologist Cassie Shepard, played by Tuva Novotny, and paramedic Anya Thorinson, played by Gina Rodriguez. Lena convinces Dr. Ventress to allow her to join the mission, as her expertise as a soldier and a biologist might be handy in finding a cure for Kane. Lena does not tell the rest of the team that her husband is Kane, the only surviving member of the Nostromo. <laughs> the prior mission. <laughs> the team enters the Shimmer. They awaken, disoriented in a camp of their own making, and, by the amount of leftover rations, they seem to have been in the Shimmer for days, although none can remember any of that time, let alone setting up camp. None of their communication equipment is working. They continue on toward their destination and the supposed epicenter of the Shimmer, the Lighthouse. On the way, they find strange, mutated plant life. At an abandoned swamp house, Josie is attacked by a giant alligator. She is rescued by the others, but the alligator swims to land to attack the group, who all grab weapons to kill it. Lena takes her stance with the machine gun and fires into the charging alligator's open mouth. As she kills it, she notices a circular row of teeth inside the beast's throat, similar to a shark's. Shaken, the team continues to an abandoned military base. 
In the mess hall, they find a memory card marked to those who come after. The memory card contains a video of Kane slicing into a fellow soldier's gut to reveal something large moving where his intestines should be. They eventually find that soldier's body, impossibly mutated and ripped apart and covered in a strange, colorful fungus. They decide to take turns keeping watch during the night, and, unable to sleep, Lena joins Ventress during her shift. Ventress shows Lena a map and explains that they will reach the lighthouse after passing through a small evacuated village over the next few days. During their conversation, they hear a very loud noise. The others start to race toward them, and Shepard is dragged away by a large creature that resembles a bear. The next morning, they move on, and Lena finds Shepard's mutilated corpse. They reach the village and find plants growing in the basic skeletal shape of humans. Josie hypothesizes that the shimmer is acting like a prism and refracting everything within it, including the DNA of any plant, animal, and human life, combining them together in random and impossible ways. The group sets up camp in a house in the village, but Lena is awakened in the middle of the night with Anya holding the butt of her gun over her face. She hits Lena with it, knocking her out. When Lena comes to, she finds that Anya has tied them up in a fit of paranoid rage. Anya removes Lena's locket and recognizes Kane from the video. She accuses Lena of being a liar and killing Shepard. But suddenly, they all hear Shepard's cries for help coming from somewhere in the darkness outside. Anya hurries out to save her, but is attacked. The others, still tied to chairs, are terrified when the bear thing, horribly mutated with a giant skull-like head, enters the room. The sounds it makes are Shepard's dying pleas for help. Anya storms into the room to kill the bear, but it attacks her again, ripping out her throat and her jaw. Josie eventually frees herself and kills the bear with her gun. The following morning before sunrise, Ventress leaves for the lighthouse alone. Lena sits and talks with Josie, who has roots and leaves growing out of her arms. She walks away, and Lena goes after her, but she's gone, presumably transformed into a plant structure. Lena makes her way to the lighthouse alone and enters to find a burned corpse with a video camera aimed at it. She plays the video and sees Kane speaking to someone operating the camera. Kane tells the person to find Lena should he ever leave the shimmer. He then detonates a phosphorus grenade, killing himself. Another Kane but somehow different, steps into the view of the camera as the other cane burns. Hearing noises, Lena descends into a crater in the lighthouse floor and finds Ventress, whose face seems to be mutating. She tells Lena that the shimmer is of alien origin and will soon encompass everything, causing total annihilation. She then dissolves into a glowing, constantly shifting fractal-like vortex, which consumes a drop of Lena's blood from a wound on her face before taking a humanoid shape. The shape mimics Lena's every move, and Lena finds another grenade. She places it in the shape's hands, pulls the pin, and leaves the lighthouse as it detonates. The shape takes on Lena's appearance as it burns. The shape moves throughout the lighthouse and down into the crater as the entire structure is destroyed. As the source burns, the shimmer itself begins to disappear. Later, back at Area X, Lena tells her story to the best of her ability. She is told that after the shimmer collapsed, Cain became stable and lucid again. She goes to him. She asks if he is really Cain, and he replies that he doesn't think so. He asks if she is really Lena, but she doesn't answer. The two embrace as their irises begin to shimmy. <laughs> <laughs> I think he meant Shimmer. 
Well, now I think I meant shimmy. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I had to redo that last one. That's so funny. <clears throat> the end. <laughs> Maybe. Due to a poor test screening, producers at Skydance became very concerned that Annihilation was too intellectual or too complicated and demanded changes be made to the film. Alex Garland disagreed, and executive producer Scott Rudin, who had the final cut approval, sided with the director and refused to take any notes. A decision was made to release the film to markets and allow Netflix to stream the movie internationally only after 17 days. Which is how I watched this movie for the first time, because I downloaded an illegal copy from Europe or whatever fucking market it was and watched the Netflix version of it. You criminal. I know. I shouldn't even say that out loud. Annihilation was finally released in the United States on February 23rd, 2018, alongside the movies Game Night and Every Day. The film made $11 million opening weekend, clinching the number four spot at the box office behind Black Panther, Game Night, and Peter Rabbit. It dropped 49% the following week, falling to number six. Ultimately, the film would earn a global total of about $43 million against a reported budget of $40 to $50 million, causing many to consider the film a flop. Meh. Annihilation has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes and is certified fresh, with an audience score of 66%. The site's consensus reads, Annihilation backs up its sci-fi visual wonders and visceral genre thrills with an impressively ambitious and surprisingly strange exploration of challenging themes that should leave audiences pondering long after the credits roll. That's true. Yeah, I agree. Audiences pulled by CinemaScore gave the movie an average grade of C. Richard Roper gave the film four to four stars and praised the film for taking risks. He wrote kudos to Garland and the cast, but bravo to Scott Rudin as well. Apparently, you knew a masterpiece when you saw it and made sure we were able to see it too. Peter Travers of The Rolling Stone also praised the cast and Garland's direction, saying, Garland need make no apologies for Annihilation. It's a bracing brain teaser with the courage of its own ambiguity. You work out the answers in your own head, in your own time, in your own dreams, where the best sci-fi puzzles leave things. That's a good review. Hmm. The Economist was a little more mixed in its response, claiming the film is tightrope walking the fine line between open-ended, mind-expanding mystery and lethargic, pretentious twaddle. Twaddle. <laughs> <laughs> it's so rarely good to use that in a sentence. <laughs> twaddle? I'm not quite sure I ever have. <laughs> My twaddle had a shimmy. <laughs> so it had some accolades, apparently, at the Golden Schmoes. You added this part. What is this? I have no idea what these awards are, but it, <laughs> it, it was nominated nonetheless. Uh, another deep dive, another awards show. All right. Nominated for Best Horror Movie, Best Sci-Fi Movie, Most Memorable Scene, which is the bear scene. And it won Most Underrated Movie. I didn't even... Okay. And Trippiest Movie the fuck is this award show i don't know but they have lots of cool categories apparently I don't yeah know. I have to look it up okay at gallica the society of lgbtq entertainment critics awards which i also didn't know existed it won the dorian award for most visually striking film of the year oh can we join that society i don't know maybe i mean we're entertainment up. critics gallica okay. Gallica. Get a better fucking name, really. <laughs> well, uh, as some critics pointed out, Annihilation had the potential to become a cult classic. And seeing this nearly four years later, I'd say it has. I've seen countless videos on YouTube examining the meaning, the explanation of the ending, discussing the themes, and even arguing that the bear is one of the scariest movie monsters in decades. I mean, I completely agree with everything you just said. 
you know, and I'm sure that we'll be talking about a lot of these things throughout the deep dive. The one thing that I think is keeping it from becoming a cult classic is viewers. Like, I really don't feel like a lot of people have seen this movie and I don't know why they're sleeping on it. I, well, I feel like that maybe was the case about two years ago when maybe when I first saw it. Okay. And because uh, I was just like, what the fuck did I miss? You know what I mean? Because I always wanted to see it when it was in the theaters. And then I just never did. I never got around to it. And uh, you said it was good. Yeah. And then I just never got around to it until finally, I think it was sometime I was in Boston pretty early. I think mm-hmm. I watched it and I was like, holy shit, you know? Yeah. Cause it's, it's a I mean, spoiler. Alert, it's a really fucking good movie. Well, I mean, even if, even if you disagree with that, there's a lot to talk about. That's true. Right. And so I think one of the first things I mentioned to you is that this is a very deep dive worthy movie, at least for some sort of deeper discussion than we could say, I don't know, scream three. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and and you're right. I mean, there's lots of things to say about this movie, and we're about to really get into that. I happen, I mean, like, I'm I'm on a lot of, like, social media horror channels, especially gay social media horror channels, right? And I never hear anyone talking about it. Yeah, it's not a pop culture hit. It does have a cult following, though. True. Right? Because I do see all of these deep dives, like, kind of this intellectual commentary on some of the YouTube channels that I would follow, and Mm -hmm. then some of the reviewer, and, like, the let's look back and look at this. It's almost, some people would say it's a little early to have a cult following, having been actually a fairly new film. I will will hold on to the fact that one day people are going to watch this movie and be like, why didn't I watch it, like, 10 years ago or whatever? You know what? Let's just talk about it. (laughs) They might even talk about that with a lot of Alex Garland stuff, honestly. True. You know? Which is why I want to talk about him, right? Because we've we've kept coming back to him, and I think we've had an Alex Garland discussion a few times over the last four years or however long we've been doing this. But yeah, we've talked about Alex Garland a lot in our podcast. I mean, we did an episode on Sunshine. Yeah, and I think that's what really kicked it off, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I came back and I was just like shocked to, to see his work. He came to prominence as an author, right? And he actually wrote The Beach, which later on became a movie with like Leonardo DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. But then what I didn't know after that is that he also also wrote things like 28 Days Later yep. and Sunshine, which were both directed by uh, Danny Boyle, yes. I believe. Mm-hmm. And then he also wrote Dread, which I had completely forgot about. I didn't know this. <laughs> yeah, We talked Dread. about Dread. So we probably mentioned that in that Dread probably. episode that we did over on Patreon. And you I know? just forgot about it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, and also we've mentioned and I think threatened to deep dive into Ex Machina. Yes, because that's his directorial debut Mm. is fairly unbelievable because it's so masterfully done. Yes. Right. He has something to say with a camera. He really does. He does. And now that we're kind of starting to get things, you know, like I've seen Ex Machina and I've seen Annihilation and seeing the the description of what Men, his upcoming film is, and it's going to be A24. (sighs) You know, is like he's really got this kind of tone that he likes, right? Especially after watching some of the stuff that he's written, like 28 Days Later in Sunshine and even Dread, there is a specific kind of downwards, you know, downtone to to his work, right? Yeah. And and you said that he has something to say with the camera. He also has something to say with his words, honestly. I mean, like he really writes really good like horror horror adjacent things some of which like sort of like tread onto science fiction a lot of which tread on the sort of a trippy level of things right i mean it won that fucking award i mean like he really knows how to write and then direct i I feel like you know the the movies that he wants to make well also in something else that i I see in common with all of these works is that every character is different right he does very very well with characterization because it would have been fairly easy for these four women to kind of meld into each other without four mm-hmm. distinct personalities, but they are very distinct. Oh my gosh. From the, one another. 
the characters and cast in this movie to me are just impeccable. Like I, mm, technically there was five women that went through. <laughs> I kind of love like female centric movies anyway. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's just where my, my passions lie or my interests lie. I, I find that to be more interesting than just some random cookie cutter male character. Right. And this movie has like strong female characters and spades. And I just really love the way that he did that. In varying characters. degrees and in different ways. Yes. I mean, they all have something to bring to the story and the story never seems to forget a single one of them. Like mm-hmm. they're always present in this movie. And I was thinking about it on this rewatch and I was just like, if they had substituted like one guy and one of these roles or whatever, it would change the entire dynamic of this team. But we just talked about in black Swan, having a director who tried to pit his actresses against each other, like off camera, right. To create something. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't feel like this happened then. I think we have, a group of women who start out you know as a team and they sort of devolve a little bit throughout the story but sure but at the end of the day they're still kind of a team yeah let's start with natalie portman as lena yeah and we talked about her in the last episode right i mean natalie portman is great i will say that we talked her character's name in black swan is nina and this time it's lena and i was just like okay yeah, it's not quite the journey for a character that Black Swan is, obviously, because no. it's a really, really big zoom in on one character, really one character's journey. And this is really kind of about an environment and, and kind of about themes and ideas more than it is a specific person. Uh, but if it was about a specific person, it would be her. Yes. And I will say that some similarities between those two characters. I mean, like, obviously in Black Swan, she's experiencing some sort of doubt about her abilities to portray those roles or whatever. And it leads to some sort of mental fracture. In this movie, she's experiencing some doubt. But mostly it's about her personal life and things that she really dis- can't change or maybe choices that she had made in the past. Well, I like the kind of the Arthur C. Clarkean way this is handled a little bit because a lot of these people are dedicated professionals and it kind of shows yeah with the exception of the least skilled among them being uh portrayed by gina rodriguez who is a simple paramedic Mm -hmm. but i mean like she she is there for a specific reason i think as a paramedic she can treat them yeah but everyone else is like a dedicated professional that's there to do a job right not you know, the, I mean, they're passing the Bechdel test in spades here, right? They're mm-hmm. sitting around, they're talking to each other, not, they're not talking about men. At all. <laughs> you know? Well, in, in Natalie Portman's case, actively not talking about a man for a specific reason, you know? Yeah. There's, you know, you can, she's actually the one that, that fails that the most just because she has the relationship that's right. being, that's kind of key to the plot. She's just bit, being secretive. You know, so that's more you know, substantial. But But I will say, I mean, like, even though she's not a dedicated professional and she really doesn't utilize her skills as a paramedic much in this movie. She doesn't at all because there's a fucking doctor there. I don't know. Yeah, I know. But um, I do like that character a lot. I do like Gina Rodriguez a lot. I think that she's really, really good in this movie. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's the biologist character, but she's also like the, the soldier scientist, right? As she's called by Ventress. Uh, Ventress herself played by Jennifer Jason Lee as the psychologist. Yeah. And I mean, I love Jennifer Jason Lee and I I think I love her just because I grew up watching Jennifer Jason Lee and I'm always glad when actors make a resurgence in their career and she's been in quite a lot over the last like three or four years more than that. It was kind of interesting to see how she handled herself. I know that her, her situation was that she was terminal, right? Right. And uh, so she went in kind of not expecting to return. And apparently the higher ups and the people behind the scenes knew that as well. And they kind of let her go 
you know, as kind of her last hurrah mm-hmm. uh, because she's been overseeing these teams and apparently cleared these other women <laughs> to go, but she doesn't give no shits. Right. No. And, but she's also very eloquent, eloquent and she's thinking about things, you know, she's spending her time thinking about things and in a, like a war movie or a buddy movie or something where like, you know, hell Stargate or, you know, anything like that, where a group of guys has to go to a new environment and kind of survive. Usually that's a little bit more military like situation. Yes. And uh, if people want to go off and do their own thing, Ventress doesn't give a shit. She's nope. like, well, if you don't want to come, you don't have to come. You if know, you want to go back, go back. It's kind of yeah. interesting twist on that. She's like, you want to go back, go back. I'm going to the lighthouse. You can follow me if you want. Fuck you. There's something to be said about, I mean, like we know for a fact the Shimmers existed for three years, right? Mm-hmm. This is a kind of a glaring hole in this movie that kind of bothers me maybe a little bit is how do you hide something like that for three years from the general population? Or if they're going to the lighthouse, why didn't they fucking use a boat? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> Thanks. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's been watching this like from afar and she's been clearing people to go into the shimmer. And I mean, you can imagine because you're a curious person as well, what it's like to watch something for that extended period of time and see everyone else go into it. You obviously want to do it too. And if you have nothing to lose at the end of the day, you're going to go and want to find answers. And that's just it. She wants personal answers. In a world without boats or aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what to tell you oh my god i didn't even think about either of that like i only thought you could walk into the shimmer like you couldn't just like fly into it or like like the rest of this movie the secret is to not think about it oh i mean like any movie really <laughs> yeah yeah uh, no, I, I can kind of get it. Like, I think it's supposed to be like marshes or something or swamp and stuff and kind of impassable to get there. Maybe it's an older lighthouse. I don't know. I'm like doing some mental acrobatics to make this work in my head, but it's just not. And it's okay. I mean, we're adults. We can do that. Yeah. You know? So we talked about really Gina walking. Rodriguez for a little bit. Um, and uh, I Tessa Thompson as Josie Raddick. Like, She's the physicist, right? Yes. She's a physicist. She seems to be in charge of all the communication devices, but she is a physicist technically. Okay. So, so who is Tuva, uh, Tuva Novotny as Cassie Shepard? She's a geomorphologist and I'm not quite sure what that is. Okay. So she's more of like an um, environmental. Or how like environment. Anything geo makes me think. Or know, how like the environment around you can. Geology type of situation, you know. You know, change things. So Although, she was looking at all the rainbows. <laughs> yes. Tessa Thompson, though, seems to be the one who's sort of like keyed into what can possibly be happening. I mean, when they find those plant structures at that one moment, she is the one who says, like, you know what? Like, this kind of DNA mixed with these plants could cause them to grow like this. Like, she seems to have. She has the most answers. I would say yeah. next up is Natalie and then Jennifer Jason Lee is coming up with like the philosophy of it. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. So it's those three women, really. Um, I, I could see Shepard having a lot to say before, mm-hmm. but she died very, very early on. And I mean, like her death is really poignant because like she's the one who's getting to know our main character the most out of all these women. Yeah. And I was reading some weird fucking theory about, hey, if your if your attitude is like aggressive and everything, the refraction and reflection going on inside the shimmer is that's how you die, essentially. Right. You know, but I'd have to say Shepard was not Not. a violent person. No, no, no. And she died probably the most violently out of the other one. She seemed the most likely out of all these women to genuinely care about the rest of them, to want to get to know things about them, and to be the most concerned about their well-being throughout their time in the Shimmer, you know? Yeah, I also... 
I also want to kind of mention that, you know, as dismissive as we are of Gina Rodriguez's character being like the violent kind of uppity, muppety kind of one <laughs> that kind of gets paranoid and goes into that rage or whatever else, you can kind of get her perspective, but she's also just kind of crazy. And I want to say that it must have been, you know, some sort of mutation in her goddamn brain at that point yeah. to make her to go that far that quickly. But at the same time, at the very beginning, she is the one that wants uh, Natalie Portman's character to feel like she's part of the group. Exactly. She goes up for the rest of the girls and introduces herself and gets to know her and pulls Natalie back into that group. And she is the most warm and welcome of all of them. And she is the one that becomes the most violent. That's true. It's almost a definite like refraction of her character because she is very inviting. She seems the most outgoing, the most like, um, you know, extroverted one of the group, you know, and maybe because the rest of these women are scientists she was great until they they got to that main fort like their first uh not technically they're not for their first night but their first night that they remember <laughs> oh when they got to that mess hall and yeah. she saw that video she saw the video and she's like no I, i'm this is my reality she was like a yeah. goddamn maga hat wearing like i don't so know the trick of the light right is what she said she, <laughs> the I trick mean, of the light is on camera you like, stupid bitch i'm a paramedic and those were his intestines here watch the screen and <laughs> you know in this full shadow i don't know like what the fuck do you want it i don't know that we'll ever get a chance to talk about tessa thompson again even though we have talked about tessa thompson on the podcast in a patreon episode but i just fucking love her do we do a patreon episode on yeah thor ragnarok did we do a whole episode on thor ragnarok on patreon yeah oh my god uh-huh. yeah she is like in that as that character she is like this like british like hardcore like beat your ass as soon as look at you really hardcore woman you know what i mean and, and this she's really diminutive and kind mm-hmm. of mousy and you know and, and very kind of shy and and soft-spoken and it's just such a miracle of acting to see those two different roles she is the same person so much work over the last several years and i'm just like happy every time i see her in things she has oscar buzz this year for um becoming or passing is what it is right yeah and i just i want to see that movie so bad every time i see tessa thompson in something i feel that she is a very gifted actress i mean like if anyone hasn't seen um Westworld like it's not the best show it's it's a fun watch but it's worth it to watch the first season just for Tessa Thompson she's a fucking delight as a villain like she's just good well-rounded actress happy every time I see her on screen she can do anything agreed so uh, uh, rounding out our cast obviously is Oscar Isaac Ooh. right and uh you know what can you say about Oscar Isaac but he's always Oscar Isaac that's true does time with the southern accent though yes Although more pronounced toward one. the end of the movie. So, yeah. <laughs> a very, very bad one. Uh, but uh, we got Benedict Wong, who's also been in some Alex Garland stuff. He was in Sunshine. That's right. He's in Doctor Strange. He's, he's been in a lot of sci-fi. He was in The Martian. He's been, he's been in like almost every sci-fi movie. And he, I mean, like when he has a line that could be considered as kind of funny or whatever, he delivers it well. Like I, I like. No, I he's like a great actor, and he always yeah. brings it. He doesn't have much to do here other than like spill out some exposition or at least gangway for it. Yeah, there's just there's not a lot of men in this cast, you know, and so like I and I I think that's fine. I think that's better actually. Yeah. There was some casting controversy. Oh? Yeah. So in 2018, Garland was criticized by the Media Action Network for Asian Americans and the American Indians in film and television advocacy groups for whitewashing the roles played by Portman and Lee. So in the Southern Reach novels, which is what those trilogy is, is called, okay. uh, I believe the first one is actually called Annihilation, right? The biologist is described as being Asian descent, while the psychologist is mixed race and half indigenous. So obviously both Portman and, and you know Jennifer Jason Lee 
actually are white. But Garland responded to the accusations by saying that there was nothing cynical or conspiratorial about the casting and that the book in which the characters' races are revealed in authority after Annihilation had not been released by the time Annihilation had been written and cast. I mean, it's a pretty good excuse. It is. I and mean, if they don't describe what they look like or their races until the second book. Maybe your writing isn't as good as Alex Garland's to, to begin with. I don't know. I mean, I haven't, I haven't read the novel. My sister did. She said she, she watched the movie and she was interested enough in the story that made her want to, to read the book. And it was one of those rare times when she actually prefers the movie. Really? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now I definitely want to read the novel. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely do? <laughs> yeah. Because I, I mean, like, that's pretty high praise. And if the novel is worse, then I would like to know. <laughs> and also, like, based on this, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like if characters are written in a non-racial kind of way, you know, that should make casting go to the person who's best for that particular role, you know? Yeah. And so, I mean, I really can't comment because I haven't read the books. But um, I mean, if 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 everything he says is true, is that he wrote he wrote this screenplay based on his memory and not on the book itself or the previous novels that came afterward. I mean, I can't. Yeah, I feel like do your homework before that, and also look at the rest of the cast. Right, this is a pretty fucking colorful cast. What were we saying earlier? They're either progressive colored or they're uh, privileged, <laughs> privileged colored. And that's I mean that's true. I mean like there there is a lot. There's a lot of diversity going on in this cast. Yes, Nellie Portman and Jennifer Jason Lee would be considered the leads of this movie, and they're both white women. Gina Rodriguez is a Latina who's played a lot of Latina roles. Tessa Thompson is a woman of color. She's African-American, and she plays a lot of those roles. You know, Oscar Isaac, I'm not quite sure what his racial beginnings are, and I don't – I really don't Benedict Wong is obviously Asian. Yeah. I mean, like, I feel like there's a lot – I feel like this is a progressively cast movie, you know, in a time where people are really looking at that under a microscope, I feel like they did that in this cast. Yeah, and I feel like the sin here is ignorance rather than anything else. True. And he he made a choice that he wasn't going to talk to the author while he was making this because he wanted it to be very much his own thing to make it a little bit more dreamlike based on his memory of the book and what he liked most about it. Also, I mean, like, I haven't read a whole lot about this movie since I watched it. I liked it, you know, and then sort of like went on about my life. But I've never heard anything about this controversy. So yeah, I just found it floating around out there. I'd never heard about anything either. But obviously, like we said, uh, this is based on a memory of the book versus an actual like traditional adaption. Uh, But some critics have noted the film has similarities with other science fiction novels like Roadside Picnic and its 1979 movie adaption, Stalker. I've never heard either of those things. Me either. And while Nerdist Industries, Kyle Anderson noted that even stronger resemblance with the 1927 short, The Color Out of Space by H.P. Lovecraft, which of course was also adapted to the screen on several occasions, including Color Out of Space from 2019, a year after this one came out, right? About a meteorite that lands in a swamp and unleashes a mutagenic plague. Yeah, but it's not even close to what this movie is, though, in my opinion. Yeah, well, you know, the the book itself, Annihilation, could have been lightly colored by H.P. Lovecraft, obviously, right? Nothing's in a fucking vacuum. Nothing is. I Nothing. mean, like, really, everything is, like we talked about in Black Swan, I mean, like, everything is sort of influenced by something else. And, I mean... Like I said then, it's okay to say you were influenced. I mean, it's just not okay to copy. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk about the the movie itself a little bit. Okay. I mean, I know we have, but I mean, like the look and the feel and the the VFX. And the first thing I want to say is like, they did such a fucking good job with the look of the shimmer inside the shimmer. I love subtlety and it was just everywhere. I guess it, I guess it can't be subtle if it's everywhere, but any given scene, if you're looking at the water they're, they're traversing or at the tree bark or any given thing, it has that little bit of like rainbowy oil slick on it. And it looks photo real. It was so well done i completely agree with you there's such a distinction between the outside parts of this movie and the inside parts of this movie as you know the shimmer is concerned and obviously we spend a lot more time in the shimmer than we do outside and maybe not in flashbacks you know but everything looks otherworldly it looks dreamlike like we had talked about earlier i feel like garland really succeeded in creating this otherworldly aspect of something that's actually on earth right and it's just neat everything that he creates in this is super fucking neat to look at and to think about i almost want to say they almost they could have done something like what they did with uh, danny boyle did with sunshine where on the inside there was never any warm colors warm tones it was Mm -hmm. all like blues and greens and grays and so that whenever you got outside you were kind of like sun starved you know and so the sun would be even more oppressive with its bright yellows and oranges and reds right you know i almost want to say they did something similar here because i feel like a lot of it's kind of neutral tones until they get into the shimmer the shimmer and then everything is vibrantly colored down to the fungus yeah it's almost like oz exactly oh my god exactly i didn't think about that before but that's a really good fucking reference for this i mean like they're sort of transported into this other world Fucking rainbows, you know? I mean, so, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, they get to this place, and the first thing they notice are, like, plant life, right? And how it's growing and how it's, you know, you know, otherworldly to them. But these are plant, you know, earth-based plants, right? But they seem more colorful than in real life. And every time they find that fungus growing on something, it really is just, like, colored in such a way that's captivating to look at. Well, it's mutating as it grows. And so, yes. like, there's, like, patches of different colors and different textures of that fungus. And literally moving. You can watch the fungus mutate when they get close to it. Yeah, and those flowers, they were saying, like, would this be, you know... um, pathogenic if it was like in a human Mm -hmm. and they were like yes like if you saw something like this because they were looking at one flower bush essentially right and each flower was completely different different color different species growing growing from the same vine and so she was like yeah if you saw this on a human you wouldn't even know what you're looking at you know i am not a scientist by any means my god i went to culinary school you know but like I'm fascinated by things like this. You know what I mean? So watching a movie, like if this were to happen in real life, I would listen to many, many podcasts about it. I don't know. (laughs) The only thing I wanted from this movie that I didn't quite get is like some sort of like voracious, like flesh eating plant or something. I wanted the plant to do a little (laughs) bit more than just sit there and be pretty. It's the one with like the the Aztec pyramid with like the. Oh, the ruins. The The ruins. ruins. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, they kind of did that in this, didn't they? I mean, they have them growing like that, but I mean, I wanted a plant to make a noise or I wanted a plant to try to eat something or attack them instead of like passively attack them. You know what I mean? But that's fine. I mean, if I'm that's- glad you said that because I didn't even make that connection because it's those vines or those plants in, in that movie mm-hmm. that call the names and right. like use like the, the screams and stuff. But uh-huh. in this one is the bear. Right. I just, I mean, I wanted the plants to do something a little bit more active. Yeah. 
But I mean, that's if, if that's like one of the biggest qualms that I have in this movie, which is almost nothing, then I think that says something about the fucking movie. Well, I was talking so. about this last night and we were discussing like if this was a TV show, like if the shimmer hadn't collapsed uh-huh. and they did a TV show, like what else would we have wanted to see and would we have watched it? And the consensus was hell yeah. We would have loved to watch it to see what else they discover in there. Agreed. I mean, because we get to see some pretty amazing things. The plants are amazing on their own. Yeah. The 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 creatures and the animals, I think, are Excellent. And so we only get to see like two Avatar, Avatar, where they, well, there was like the bear, oh, there three, was the alligator, yeah. and then you get those two deer. Those deer were so pretty. Yeah, but they're like almost twins. One had flowers in its antlers, you know, but the other one was like a little bit more. I don't know. It's so random. You know, you never know what to expect. You could see something that's like twinsies, but you, you might not, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. There's a lot going on here, and I could watch this just for the details over and over and over. So – we're at the we're at the point where we can talk about some of these creatures. You mentioned the deers, right? Yeah. Deer, I guess is the plural of that word. Uh, so the alligator yeah. itself. So when the alligator attacks Josie's character and it comes out, it just looks abnormally large. It looks abnormally large, and obviously it's albino, right? But when it's coming at her and you can see that row of teeth like sort of circling, you know, like that was unexpected to me and shocking. But the bear, the fucking bear. (laughs) Okay, we just have to take a minute and talk about what an amazingly creepy fucking creature that is and what a tense moment that is when it's like circling those women tied to chairs. Yeah, it's not perfect. Like they did use some like in-camera shots with a Muppety creature effect that they Uh had, but they also used some CG, obviously, for more of the personality shots as it's circling them around you know the close-ups were done in camera though which i loved i love a mix of cg and and special effects uh and makeup and things like that but i have to say like i don't want to answer your question too early but that was a fucking scary scene yeah especially the first time you see it like and and it stirs up a lot of emotions right there's like that dread you're trapped there in a room obviously that's stirring up emotions if you're claustrophobic and you're tied up you know and you're at this other this crazy person's whims and mercy and then this bear fucking comes in it's not just a goddamn bear the the bear's wearing a skeleton on the outside of its face yes and then not only that but it is screaming at you and and asking for help in your friend's voice in your friend's your dead friend's voice What a fucking nightmare. I mean, it is like from a concept perspective, just one of the best fucking monsters like ever in the history of horror movies, in my opinion. On paper or otherwise. I mean, just yes. describe it. It's I mean, cool. like I props to the author, props to Alex Garland. I don't care. I mean, like just I mean, that bear yeah. in someone's face screaming at you in your dead friend's voice is effective the only thing that would have made it creepier was a giant fucking spindly spider the size of a house that had gone in there and, and it was like using that little <laughs> inner 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 mouth to like do the friend screams yes that would be way worse but that's a personal thing for you right get so. away she lob <laughs> 
I only like Sheila with that fucking <laughs> slot machine version of that game. So whatever. Gaze of the Palantir, not my <laughs> demon bear. I love that bear, though. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really, really good. I mean, we could gush over that bear for a lot, but that's not the only creature, and we've discussed some. But looking at these creatures and looking at the subtle effects and everything else, and it really at the end, there's more creatures, right? Because there's that alien creature, that yeah. alien hybrid thing. You know, and there's that fractal that I've never seen anything really quite like it on screen. Mm-hmm. And yet no fucking Oscar noms. I mean, even if they were just doing production design, like with the fucking glass trees, the crystal trees and things like that, there's so many Oscar nominations that could have happened for this movie. Well, I think Ex Machina won for best visual effects or something like it was two nominated. years before or something. Yeah. And this wasn't even fucking nominated? Nope. Off the radar for everything. Absolutely insane. I agree. And it could have been some sort of like release timing. You know what I mean? This movie came out right at Oscar season, right? I was going to the movies to see things like Phantom Thread and Call Me By Your Name around the same time that this movie came out, you know? And And it didn't make its money enough for the studio to be like, hey... That's right. You know, we're, they were probably embarrassed by it because of the people that, at the studio that was saying it was too intellectual and everything else. So they weren't sending out copies to the Academy. We can and say let's that. face it, in 2018, they weren't exactly releasing movies to streaming services just 17 days later like they are now. Yeah. Like this, this was a fucking shame. Yeah. I and mean, this movie just didn't have the backing that it needed for any of this. And that's, that really is a shame. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite things about this movie, like we mentioned a little bit earlier with Alex Garland's work in total, is the kind of the, that beautifully melancholy. Yes. Right? We get that in Sunshine, mm-hmm. where that could have been more like a deep impact. Well, that's beautifully melancholy. Uh, yeah. Like Armageddon or something, you know, like more of a traditional disaster movie, you know? Right. You know, a little bit more soap opera, you know, uh, dramatic, Muppety, you know? Uh, they could have even gone like... Uh, for adventure thriller vibe where things are at stake, like getting back home and things like that with Stargate or Congo mm-hmm. or even Jurassic fucking park. But no, it's Alex Garland and he really committed to that and he didn't have to. No, he I really does. Pretty brave. He really does like take, he, he takes a story that could be something very basic. And I think the thing that changes it and Alex Garland work is characters. For like the Star part. Wars imagined by Eeyore. <laughs> I mean, maybe maybe we should be worried about him. I mean, like, I don't know if he's on his meds or not or something, but I mean, like, the, the thing that changes his stories and sets them apart really are the characters, and he, he makes them he makes them real. You know, he adds layer and dimension, and not everything is happy for them, and not everything is just, like, survival at stake, because sometimes they don't want to survive because their real life is just going to destroy them, yeah. you know? And that is beautifully melancholy, and I'm kind of here for that shit. So, yeah. I mean, I'm a Tori Amos fan, so fuck it. Well, speaking of... You know, that sort of thing. Let's talk about the life and death theme of this movie. Yeah. There, there's one point in the movie where uh, Lena and Dr. Ventress are talking and she's she she sort of like insinuates that they're committing suicide by going on this mission. And Ventress disagrees. Right. Yep. She says very few people commit suicide. Most people self-destruct and they self-destruct in some way, shape or form in some area of their life. They... You know, fuck up their job, like some sort by some sort of impulse or their marriage or they smoke or they drink too much or this or that in some way, shape or form. People are kind of self-destructing through impulse. And, you know, she kind of alludes, 
you know, to uh, Natalie Portman's character. I was like, you should know this better than I do. And she says, why? And I think it's kind of alluded that she's talking about her like little affair that she has going on or something, which we'll talk about later. But she says, no, you should know better because you're like a, a molecular biologist who studies the cell life and cell cycle. You know, our cells are literally programmed to commit suicide, essentially, or self destruct so that they can divide and we don't have like cancer probably, you know, all, all the time. I really enjoyed that conversation in this movie because it sort of happens like in the middle of things. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're, you know, privy to flashbacks of, of Lena and we know what some of her life has held, you know, both happy and sad moments by that point. But for a psychologist to look at a biologist, a cellular biologist, and say, like, no, I mean, like, inherently, our bodies are created to self-destruct or whatever. Yep. And, like, <clears throat> she even, like, she goes so far as to say, like, you know, mental impulses happen at a cellular level. And I think that, I think that's fucking brilliant. You know, maybe this movie is a little intellectual, but there's nothing fucking wrong with that. Yeah. And you can take away a lot from it. It's almost like a Rorschach in that way. Yeah. Because, you know? I mean, you could you could take 10 people in a room and say, what do you think this, this movie means and how do you think it ended? And you could get 10 different answers. It's true. You know, so like obviously that discussion about the self-destruction built into humanity at the cellular level, mentally or otherwise. Um, there's also the question of refraction versus reflection. Okay. You know, yeah. and I, I feel like the, the further they are from the center, the more it's like refracting and they're seeing other, you know, other species in the same place, you know, and things like that. But the, the closer they get, you start seeing uh, reflections of things, right? Like those two deer, you know, and then the very, very center and the end, which is a whole goddamn beautiful mess, mm-hmm. you know, you start seeing like the copies of things, right? And, um, you know, when I when I see that like vortex of abstract weirdness that came out of Ventress, where she finds her the cave or whatever, which is like what, and uh, and then it becomes a copier where I was like, all I knew was she's looking into the light. I was like, don't look into the dead lights. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> if only she read some King. <laughs> I was like, anything okay? It's it's protean. It can change shape into what basically whatever the fuck it wants randomly, and it like crash landed here from a meteor. And you're looking at these bright lights, and it's like copying you and and like becoming your worst fears. It's basically Pennywise. Oh my god, it's it. <laughs> complete with the tragic backstories. <laughs> okay, I'm on board with that. Thank you. But yeah, I think you're right. I think the closer they get to the center, it's more about coffees, right? More reflection than refraction. Oh, to coffees. And maybe I just have coffee on the brain. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I mean, because it really is like literal copies of things closer to the center. And I mean, I don't know. I'm not a physicist and I, I don't quite understand that. You know, just from a general layman's standpoint. I mean, just what I see in the movie makes sense. There's also but. some other weird shit going on. Like, all those trees around it are crystal. And then all the vine have kind of turned to bonish, like a bonish-like yeah. thing on the lighthouse. And then there was, like, that array of, like, half-buried skeletons in front of the lighthouse. Like, what the fuck is that? I know. I mean, There's a I, story there. There is. And I, I kind of, like, I feel like I need to read the books now just because I want to know the answers to it, some of these questions. Yeah, I think Oscar Isaac was one of the first things. and But there was a team since then. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm not even sure. It could have been plants that were in the shape of human bones. There could have been place. people there when the meteorite landed to begin with. You it know? could have been shrubbery that looked like human bones. That's where <laughs> that's, the, that's the environment we find ourselves in. Oh, my God. Maybe it's just best to not ask for answers to questions. It's just there and we have to move on with it. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, well, like, where did Tessa Thompson go? 
right? She walks yeah. off and it's presumably she turns into one of those, you know, like human shaped, you know, shrubs. Yeah. But does it happen that fast? No, because those shrubs grew that way. If right. You recall, right. They grew based on the human like structure genome or whatever. Although they mentioned they put a, they kind of hang her lantern on her character earlier because she's always wearing long sleeve shirts to hide her cuts. We have no idea how long those fucking leaves have been growing out of her arms. Yeah. And yeah. And we saw them growing as they talked. Right. You know, but also it also kind of reminded that village. It reminded me of like the, the nuclear tests mm-hmm. Things like that, where you have all this setup and like everything's kind of fairly pristine and, and like the right, but all the humans are like gone or they're like, you know, I don't know. It just felt kind of like Pompeii. And we have right? to imagine we're like looking at the aftermath of what has happened here. And it's like the humans are like these like plants. And some of them were like, like the, the taller plants were holding the hands of like the smaller ones, like they were children. You know right. what I mean? It is kind, kind of, of like an aftershock like that, like like Pompeii, you yeah. know? And we're told that that area was evacuated, you know what I mean? But we don't know completely, you mm-hmm. know? We don't know what kind of casualties there were before they started to evacuate. Like, there's there are a lot of questions toward the end of this movie that I don't think they successfully answered. I don't really think they have to. Well, we kind of culminate with the whole reflection-refraction thing and everything we've been talking about with that goddamn tattoo. Yes. Now, you can watch this movie multiple times and miss this. But you see kind of early on in the film, Natalie is like scratching her arm, you know, does hang a little lantern on that and says, oh, it's just a bruise. I must have must have been from the alligator. She never touches the goddamn alligator. Mm-hmm. We know that. Right. But later it becomes a tattoo right. and it's the Ouroboros tattoo, which is a little on the nose for me. But like I feel like DNA, you know, is something that's copyable, refractable within this story. A tattoo is literally just fucking dead skin and ink. You know what I mean? Like. I don't understand how that's done, but it's it's really kind of a like a, a mechanism or a reflection of the story. But it's a snake eating its own tail. Obviously, the Ouroboros can mean infinity. It can mean immortality. It can mean continuous renewal or even self-destruction. Yes. This is the one thing that – so the first time I watched this movie, I noticed this, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's on Anya's arm through the entire movie, and then it, later on in the movie, it's off her arm. And then toward the end of the movie, it's on Natalie Portman's arm. Yep. Right. And so, like, it's the only thing I've ever Googled about this movie. I was like, what does it mean? You know what I mean? And there's there's lots of theories and things well, about it. Well, you missed one. Because it's also on the um, the body on the wall of the soldier that was killed. Oh, like, I did not see that. With the squiddy things in his intestines. Uh-huh. It's, on his, it's on, like, his torso. Jesus Christ. I did not see that. So it keeps popping up. That's fucking brilliant. I love it. I love this fucking movie. <laughs> I just can't help myself. So it's just like these things get become shared. Everything you are is getting blasted like an x-ray or something into everything around you. But you're right. You said it earlier. A tattoo is not part of your DNA. If you it's leaned on a tree for, for too long, it might start, you know, smoking cigarettes by the end of the day. I don't fucking know. <laughs> Which is incredible. I mean, like, the, they can do so much with this story and with this this movie. I, Did that tree have a penguin tattoo on it before? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Did that, that tree just burp me with a cigarette? <laughs> oh, my God. Can it shake me a cocktail? <laughs> Jesus. I want to go with the shimmer. <laughs> Did that grassy knoll just say yours in Christ? <laughs> and that's why I'm going to sit down and talk to it a little bit. <laughs> 
there's a lot to think about here. There's a lot to unpack. This this begs for multiple multiple watchings. It does, and I yeah. feel like I feel like we've talked a lot about it, you know. But I feel like we've kind of just scratched the surface, really. But well, what do you think? What is your theory? What what happened in the end? What was it, and how did it end? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I probably purposefully did not read anything about the other books or what happens. I have not either because I want to keep that tradition of kind of unpacking it myself. Based on the yes, movie. that's one of the I, best things about this is like putting your own stink on it. You know, what I, mean? I know nothing about the novel I know, or, or the subsequent novels. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I've never looked into it, and I kind of don't want to. I the answer is I don't know. You know what I mean? Because I I feel like the first time I watched this movie, I feel like I had a sort of idea of what was going on, and then the second time I watched it for the for the this podcast episode i felt something completely different you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i i i started to think a little bit more psychologically about lena's character on this second watch and and what she was going through so if we're talking about reflections and refractions i really think that she was sort of like coming to terms with herself at that particular moment you know what i mean but in a physical sense i think the alien sort of like helped her become a different person right i think that and I think I feel like she felt some sort of guilt about her husband. She is now the Black Swan. She is. She is the Black Swan. She's living as the Black Swan. <laughs> the thing is that she she gets back to her husband at the end of the movie, and she literally asks him, "Are you Kane?" And he's like, "I don't think so." She's fine with it. He asks her, and she just doesn't say a fucking word mm-hmm. because she is. She's Lena. She she came out of it, Lena, changed in some sort of way. But she is accepting of her husband. She's going to try to rebuild her life with him, even knowing that she's not the person that she was married to before. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, My theory is that this thing, whatever it is, was some sort of like seed. Okay. Like the the whole trope of the dying civilization, whatever, or even not, sends out its seeds to live, to expand, to, to experience itself. Right. And so it lands on Earth and it basically is there to expand until it can bond or pair bond with some sort of intelligent life right and so it finally finally does uh, with lena uh and really oscar isaac and maybe it doesn't stop until until it's paired with enough people or or something else there's there's some argument there well was it not stopped when she destroyed it well oscar isaac was there but the the thing didn't didn't die so he was going to die outside of its environment right because it was kind of in a way terraforming yeah okay um although there's an argument against that too since it's a random you know you know i don't think it was changing the air you know or no. like the makeup of the dirt i don't know maybe because well, they could breathe in there so. the living earth i don't know but anyway so this thing was like expanding until it was like kind of pair bond either way her twinsy is the one that was dead we don't know if it was actually oscar isaac's twin you know but at that point you're in the fucking shimmer for so long and he was in it for a lot longer it's true that he could have been a copy of a copy of a copy like that's also true he could have been and by this point she's got tattoos she didn't have before like (laughs) you know she's not who she was when she went in either way even if she's not the clone it almost doesn't matter right but i feel like the thing that they're talking about in this is like if we just changed one thing about the cell we could be immortal i could look like this for forever they have that bedroom talk right and so i wonder if they are kind of an expression of this other species that we can't quite understand right that kind of puts its imprint on you because this thing is like fractal and like quantum or something i don't fucking know i don't have the words and so in a way oscar isaac and natalie portman in the story are like adam and eve right they're they're the first two of this new thing with nothing else behind them but possibly immortals possibly of a change in the way their 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 structure is as humans to be new 
almost a new species of human to be immortal, to have more cyclical lives, to reproduce. We don't know. But whatever it is, there's still enough humanity in them left to question their humanity and in which it doesn't really matter. That is such an Alex Garland response to a theory. It is almost making me cry right now because it's just like it, it makes complete sense. I fucking love that. That's amazing because this entire movie it's called Annihilation mm-hmm. and Jennifer Jason Lee's character says that it, it's causing annihilation and it's not like Lena's character is right. She's like, it's not destroying. It's creating something new. Yep. And I mean, I think that's the biggest takeaway from this movie. I mean, and that's just fucking beautiful. Everything you just said. I fucking love it. And maybe it's not about life or death. Maybe it's simply about change. Exactly. Oh my God. We're getting so deep in this episode. <laughs> We're just like going deep into it. <laughs> so yeah. Speaking of deep, who's the hottest guy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll get there. <laughs> Do we need to talk about the stupid weird affair subplot? <sighs> no. I mean, except to say that the guy that she's sleeping with is really hot. It added some tension. Really? It did. And I guess it gave some sort of like sub plot as to why Kane would be willing so willingly willing to go into the shimmer you know it also adds some weirdness of like why is he being so cold when he returned why was he so cold when he, he left? left you know and so it adds some like questioning there but I feel like it's almost unnecessary and pulls yeah. away from the main I kind of feel kind of like story. it's like it's just there to give some sort of context as to why yeah, for both com- of these compared characters compared to the grandeur of the rest of the story for it's real. almost just like petty human bullshit you know I, mean, I mean we could have done without it I yeah. feel like we could have gotten to the points that we've gotten to on our own without having seen any of that yeah. I don't want to have to dislike Natalie Portman's character for her actions you know what I mean and I don't really because the first time I watched this movie I really thought that they were doing that after her husband had been gone for a long time. It wasn't until the second watch that it sort of dawned on me that, you know, they kind of had an unhappy marriage because she was cheating. Yeah. You know, but I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. We don't know. So no. So I've got some fun facts. Okay. Only two and not really good ones. Well, (laughs) well, if you set them up like that, go ahead and let me have them. (laughs) Oscar Isaac filmed this movie in Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi on an adjacent studio lot. So he had the same trailer for both films and would often film scenes for both movies on the same day. Wow. I've never heard of such a thing. Two very different characters, and I've not heard of such a thing either, although I haven't seen The Last Jedi yet. What a fun fact. It is fun. (laughs) Well, it's an interesting fact. All right. (laughs) <laughs> so this is the next one. Uh, and my last one. The VFX people uh, also worked on the Paddington Bear movie. And that's based on, a, obviously, a very nice bear. And that name, Paddington, is based on the very nice Paddington Station in London. Okay. So this was really kind of ghetto, kind of rough around the edges station in London called Homerton. So the name of the mutant bear is Homerton. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fun. <laughs> I'm glad he has a name. Hamilton Bear. Hamilton <laughs> Bear. That bitch. <laughs> He's like Paddington, but he has a little paper bag that he travels around with that he drinks from every once in a while and <laughs> throws lip cigarettes at people. <laughs> screams in someone's dying voice. Not like Paddington. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, we have some questions to ask about Annihilation, like we do about every movie we deep dive into here at the Film Flamers, and we're going to start with, is Annihilation a horror movie? Yes. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, everything you want. I mean, there is some adjacency, obviously, but by and largely, this is a horror movie. I would call it a horror movie before I would call it a science fiction movie. I almost call it a creature feature, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it has, way. it has its moments. Oh, there's certainly some cosmic horror going on there. One of my favorite images from all of like horror sci-fi 
uh, are from the thing. And they kind of bring that to the next level was just showing the corpse of that soldier that had his stomach ripped open and mm. showing it kind of traveling up the wall and breaking apart. And then finally like a skull atop with like this bloom of this purple, like <laughs> growth, like algae or something coming out of it, it just looks so goddamn epic. I'm yes. it, it, you know, I just, I loved it so much. I almost wanted it as a desktop wallpaper. It wouldn't make me sick. And it's just art direction. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Just like perfect set. Were you scared while watching Annihilation? Yeah. Yeah, me too. You know, not much of it, but I would say definitely the the demon bear sequence. Homerton. Homerton the bear is frightening to me. That entire sequence is so tense and frightening. I mean, every time it gets right up into like Tessa Thompson's face and is screaming at her with her dead friend's voice. Yeah, it's such a weird bouquet of emotions that you feel during that scene because they're already tied up. They're already feeling like the claustrophobic. They're already like not don't know what's going to happen. The chaos and like complete like lack of control they have over the situation with someone that's gone insane uh-huh. that they care about. But then to have that demon bear come into the situation and have to be quiet during it and not say anything like a slip from like you know, a quiet place or something. Yes. And then it's screaming in your dead friends. Like, Oh God, it's so like uncanny Valley in a way. Like it's, there's disgust, there's horror, there's like shock and nervousness. There's like kind of sadness to it. There's a lot of like weird bouquet of stuff going on. I mean, it is, it's a, it's a very definite, like I would even call it a buffet. It's like a fine buffet of emotions. It's a fine wine. (laughs) And I mean, we will say that, I mean, like that, that woman, you know, Anya is, she's had this paranoid like split and she's tied them up. She comes in to sort of kill the bear. And one of the most gnarly, goriest parts of this movie is when it rips her throat and jaw off and you get yep. to see like her tongue, like flagging out. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. do not spare any sort of like horror moments in this. It's well, they horror, show the right whole thing of the guy, like ripping the guy's stomach open to see like yes. the writhing stuff. I remember the first time I watched that. Mm-hmm. At least my mouth was agape, if not my my decolletage clutched. And this time, I mean, like I I had a little bit of a gummy, and I was watching it, and he started to cut into his stomach. And I knew it was going to happen, and the whole time I was like, oh, 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 you know, I was just like, I mean, it's it's a fucking horror movie, and it's very scary. And they don't pan away or cut away when Oscar Isaac's character puts the flashbang. Or nope. whatever it is. It's right in your fucking face. You yeah. know, you get to watch it's him burn to death. Grenade yeah. or whatever. And he just like bright white light and it's just, you see him burn to death and it just doesn't cut away. And it's, I mean, you don't see much, but I mean, it's still disturbing. It, I mean, it, it doesn't cut. I mean, and I'm sure that if you were to like, maybe like, you know, pause throughout that scene, I'm sure that Alex Garland is a good enough director yeah. to like have multiple things. I don't know. He I mean, he's just masterful. He made a really good horror movie. And there's he, yeah. This whole movie is like a wine and cheese tasting of horror. I mean, I mean, agreed. <laughs> so out of five stars, what would you rate Annihilation? You know, with Black Swan and this, I'm really starting to hate myself for getting rid of points. Cause I mean, if I was, still doing points both of these would be like 4.5s for me i still have a little bit of an issue with the ending of annihilation mm-hmm. i feel like it dra- like the whole story just kind of drags as soon as they get into that room with that mirror copy yeah which we've talked about very little of purposefully because it's the it's like the culmination of this movie but it's also like almost the least interesting i agree you know i would have liked it just if they had stayed down in the 
you know, in the meteor, the crater or whatever. Well, because it looked better. I mean, from a set standpoint, it looked almost like Alien, you know? Yeah. And so I'm just like, mm, I don't I don't know. Like, I felt like it was like going to do something from Legend where she was like dancing with her dress or something. <laughs> I don't know. I gave this movie four and a half stars. Yeah, I gave and it four. the only thing that is keeping me from giving it five stars for me calling it a perfect movie is the end part where she's like sort of like having this ballet with that humanoid thing, you know? I mean, like it doesn't really explain that it's mimicking her very well. And were the rules behind that because exactly, it's consistent. You know, and then like I, I feel like I feel like even if she knew that it was mimicking her, like she killed it way, way too quickly. You know what I mean? Like there's just a lot of things that are not done right with that particular moment in the movie. And I'm left a little unsatisfied by it. Yeah. Like she, she picks up the, the grenade. It's not copying her at that point. She knew when it was going to copy her and when it wasn't like, yeah. it doesn't make sense. It does not. None of it. And if it does in Alex Garland's mind, he should have conveyed it better with visual storytelling because a lot of this, he does rely on exposition of asking her what happened mm-hmm. and she can actually kind of throw her stink on it and, and an audience understanding, but they don't do that for that. And all, all we do, all, all we get is a cutaway of, you know, her, you know, interviewer saying, so it was alien, you know, or whatever. And she doesn't really want to comment on Can that. Can you describe it? What, you know, she could have been like, well, it's kind of like a, a big, like, abstract, fractally vortex fart cloud. <laughs> but she said, no, she couldn't describe it. I was like, that's fair enough. <laughs> I know. Fine. I mean, like, we're all happy with that. <laughs> we're all very sorry about this description, Cassie. But I mean, no, I mean, you're right. That's the one thing that I really dislike about this movie. And I would have called it a perfect movie if that weren't. Because... I'm exactly there with you. So, yeah. All right. So finally, who's the hottest guy in Annihilation? I'm still going to say it's Oscar Isaac with a close second with that other, the affair. Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. That character. He's, that guy was super hot. Yeah. But there's just something about Oscar Isaac and every movie he's in. I think he's fucking dreamy. Yeah. So especially and ex machina. I don't know. I would just totally fuck him from that movie. (laughs) Even though he's a douchey. I don't know. Oscar Isaac for the win. Yeah. Well, I think that just about wraps up our conversation on Annihilation. And like always, we want to know what you think about this movie, if you've seen it, and what you think about our conversation. You can find us on social media at The Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can email us at tiredqueens at filmflamers.com, or you can call us at 972-666-7733. I'm making something new. <laughs> it's churning in my stomach. <laughs> I feel like the most the most used line in this movie is I don't know. So I was planning on going uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We have another episode coming out for you this month and that is our 2021 year-end review. We have a lot of movies to talk about. That's right. So stay tuned for that next week and head over to patreon.com slash the film flamers because we're still talking about transformations and Jennifer Jason Lee with single white female. Well, Robert, I need to go slick myself in oil and think about self renewal. <laughs> I need to go refract. <laughs> and I refract. To, I need to go be present like. So let's go off and have some. Hell! <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you sound just like David Novotny. <sighs> Sweet dreams. I swear to God, if we ever go camping again and I hear you like screaming in the distance, I'm going to assume it's a fucking like mutated bear. Demon bear. I'm not even come rescue you. I can't. <laughs> God damn it. My luck would be like a, some sort of fucked up demon sloth. <laughs> I would come for that though. That sounds cute. <laughs> 